As I mentioned, Dean Bajant Messer, who should be there now, joining us from wherever he is. Kia ora, Dean. Good evening. How are you? Good, thank you. Hey, where are you? I'm at Tarpeka, which is at the very end of the Russell Peninsula in the Bay of Islands. Oh, nice. Is it? Yeah, it's beautiful. The sun's <laughs> just gone down. I can see the, uh, the sunset reflecting off the ocean right now. Oh, that's so nice. Um, so were you, were you there for the flooding? Uh, yeah, I was in the north, yes, but I missed uh, – um, and, and my, pers- my place personally got off fine, but my old flat in Auckland in Ponsonby, Greylin, that had uh, waist-deep stormwater and sewage flush through it. And I'd only been there a week before recovering from COVID. So, yeah, it's it's quite a shock um, to see those areas that used to be wetlands and streams and stuff turning back into, you know, within an exaggerated state, what they used to be. Well, that's that's one way of looking at it, of course. Um, and a lot of people found that their properties weren't what they thought they were. And, you know, uh, um, somebody I know um, discovered that there was a stream or some waterway that was actually running parallel to their property almost under it, and they didn't even know about it. Yeah, so it's usually um, places like that are quite old. The, the place that I um, used to live um, is one of the very first state housing areas in the country, and which was put together about a, nearly 100 years ago. And so they just, there was a stream there, so they put, they put the stream in a pipe, then covered the pipe with clay, and then built the houses on top. And, you know, we just, it, the rising damp was a bit of a <laughs> giveaway. <issue> years and <laughs> flagging a few things there, but... Um, yeah, that was kind of normal for a long period of time. Yes, okay. So in terms of the, the forest and the bush, um, when that amount of water comes out of the sky, what goes on in the bush? Well, it depends on, well, it depends on how healthy the forest is. If the forest isn't healthy and you've had possums chewing away at the, at the tops of the trees and it's really open, and then the leaf litter is very thin because it's been scoffed by deer and goats, it means that the water doesn't have such a large surface area to cover, so it runs off really quickly. And when water gathers speed, that's what creates erosion and starts ripping the land apart. And so you can see that in a really extreme way with the Rokumara forest um, between East Cape and, and towards Oportiki, where um, deer and possums have been in there for 60 or 70 years, and there's huge amounts of erosion and the effect of those animals and the floods can be seen in the rocky reefs even. You know, the cray, uh, the coda, the crayfish uh, folk from um, Te Whanau Apanui, they know that the, um, those holes where crayfish live are being covered up with silt and sediment because of the um, animals. Anyway. That's a um, domino effect, basically. Yeah, so the, the more we look after our environment, the more we have um, resilience We can slow down water. We can have resilience for ourselves and resilience for nature because it's actually all we're all impacted by this. And uh, in 2006, 2007, there was a huge flood where where I live in the far north. And it was a very localised flood. And I just had a driveway put in, but the water came down at such great speed, it ripped my driveway apart. And so for uh, five or six years, over five or six years, after that, I planted um, lots and lots of harakeke flax that I grew from seed, and now they're really big, really big, and flowering profusely. And so now when the floods come, the water speeds, and then it hits um, all that harakeke, and it can't go fast. It 
can only rise up and go down really slowly. And well, it can rise up fast, but it just stops the speed of it. But also you can see that it traps all the sediments, all the silt and muck and mud on the leaves of the um, flax and the water coming out the other end, even in big storms is often clear. So that's a way that we can um, help build resilience by putting back wetlands into our environments that we live, whether we're on farms or in cities or schools. The high school that I used to go to in Palmerston North, that had a creek going through it, that could be turned back into a wetland um, to slow water and to absorb moisture and also create habitat for native um, birds and bugs and stuff. Mm, all right, so so harakiki, the, the flax, there are different types of flax though, I believe, and you have to be... Um, you know, relatively cognitive of what types of flax come from different parts of New Zealand, or is it okay to just fling the seed about? I'm someone that's really into eco-sourcing and finding out, finding the the natural habitat closest to where I want to plant stuff and collect seed from there and let it go, and and making sure it goes back. Because plants, whether it's um, tikoka, cabbage trees, or pittosporums, all sorts of things, um, harakeke flax, as you travel through the country and see, see them in their natural places, they have very, very different personalities. They've adapted to all sorts of different things. And so, uh, yeah, so I definitely try and get seed for flax from the closest area. And this, and flax, uh, harakeke flax, has this really interesting seeding cycle. Every three years, it does a very, very hard flowering and seeding. And we happen to be in that time right now. So the flowers came up in November. They fed the tui and bellbirds. And now the seed pods have developed. And really, it's over the next week or two weeks that those seed pods pop open and they throw out their little black shiny seeds. So I I urge people, if they want to do some wetland restoration, um, or you know, and try and slow the flood of water, getting in ahead of this flood... <laughs> will be the best time to get the seed if it's popping. Okay, how, how um, big is... Be... Sorry, uh, I was just going to ask how big the sure. seed was, Dean. Well, you have seed pods. They kind of look like bean pods in a way. They're blackish. Yes. And then they split open. And then inside, they're about nearly a centimetre long, black, uh, kind of gra- black, greasy seeds. And how do you and plant they, they, them? You just, uh, you just get an ice cream container or... However, depending on how much you want to grow, fill it with potting mix and you just sprinkle the seeds on top and um, water water them in and, and make sure that there's water underneath them, like in a bowl or something like that, and keep them in a sunny place and keep watering them and they'll start coming up, usually within about two months. So you do them inside first, you, you, ta- you, you know, you do them in a little like greenhouse environment. Do you have to plant them, do you have to put, push the seeds down a little bit and the, what's the, how, how far between each seed if you're doing them like I, that? I don't, I don't get fussy like that. I just chuck them on really quick. <laughs> yeah. they, they come up like a thick head of hair. It's wonderful. Ah, okay. And then you just, and when it's ready to put them in a bigger pot, you just use a knife and wiggle it down, wiggle it down and then you wiggle the seedling up and then pop that into a pot, and you do that with each one. So, and so, pretty soon you've got a whole lot. Right, so you don't need to put any soil over them? Is that what you're saying? Oh, well, I, I never have, and it's been incredibly successful. Um, if you usually, <coughs> sorry, if you have large seeds, you want to cover them with soil. But with very small, with small or very thin seeds, it, it doesn't matter. They germinate right on the surface. 
Oh, that's, that's really good to know. And with the harakiki, um, you're talking about wetlands. Uh, I've seen harakiki a lot, of, a lot of times on the top of slopes and cliffs, near the top. Sure. So in the mountains and on coastal areas, there's a different flax, Formium cookianum, that's the coastal flax, farariki. And um, farariki beach is named after that. Oh, flax, okay. Actually. It's a different type of flax. Yeah, it's a shorter growing one. Um, the flowers are a different colour. And the and the seed pods are different as well, but generally it's a shorter one than the than the really big one um, that's used for weaving. Often, um, you know, weaving really substantial kind of items. That's um harakiki, and the flower stems in some areas are called korari. And they would grow to what five or six meters, something like that. Oh no, not that big. Not, not that, that big. big. Um, maybe two meters. Oh, yeah, I okay. have been in, yeah, two metres, you're right, five right. or six metres. That's a tree, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It's a three-storey building that we're talking That's about. Right. <laughs> yeah, two metres, yeah. right. So, so you've got, you can I'm, get into short, so, well, Go ahead. I was just going to say, you've got to be also thinking about where you're going to plant them and what how high they are going to grow so that you, you don't think, oh, I've put those in the wrong place. You know, you've got to sort of really yeah, plan exactly. it, don't you? That's a really good good point. That's <laughs> do this with purpose. Know where you're going to go, what where you're going to collect seed from, where you're going to plant in two years into the future. Because the seed that you plant now is the ones that you plant in two winters' time. Got it. Okay. So um, you talked about um, the, uh, the canopy. That's what it's called, isn't it? The bush canopy. And there yeah, the ga- roof of the forest, if you like. Yes, the roof. And it being uh, there being gaps in it in places. And it's, a lot of that's due to human involvement, isn't it? People knock down trees or secretly go out with the chainsaw and chop down a few things so that they can get a better view or they've got more light. Uh, what do you say to that? Leave the forest alone if it's on your property? Yeah, I think the best idea is to try and live with forests as best as you can. With some of those uh, slips that you saw around Auckland, you could see those massive pohutakawas that were sometimes hundreds of years old had ash belt pushed right against their roots, so only half of their roots could actually feed and stabilise properly. The rest were kind of, I mean, how did they get moisture? It created a weakness in those trees that, allowed them to then fall down the bank and take some car parks and stuff with them. All so, right. Uh, okay, so they do have you quite... you look after roots as well. The roots, right. They do, do have quite substantial roots, Putakawa. Oh, yeah. They can travel, I tell you. They're so, amazing. They're like great big, long, strong ropes. On the Where I am at the moment, if I go down the beach and look up, there's some ancient trees here, Putakawa, and they they defy gravity. It's hard to imagine that they can withstand gale force winds on the angles that they grow. And you can see their long twisted roots going through, going along bare rock cracks and stuff, sometimes right down to the beach. They're phenomenal trees. Yeah, they are phenomenal. And in in terms of um, uh, soil stability, are they good for soil stability? They must be if they grow in the places they grow. Oh, absolutely. And, I mean, Pohutukawa forest is a type of forest in itself. And it naturally is really only from Gisborne, Raglan-ish, north, um, as well as Rotorua Lakes. And it only comes inland only a small area. So that that is the natural habitat of Pohutukawa, rather than um, it being in the middle of forests. Okay. And, um, and with 
the massive amount of rain, the, so many streams became raging rivers. They are now just muddy. The, the slopes are like twice as high as they were before. There are some massive trees that have um, fallen into them, um, quite a lot of destruction in the bush. Is it, is it, you know, is it a, it's a natural cycle or how long will that take to, to heal? Or is it a good thing for the bush? Oh, hmm. Nature knows how to heal itself so long as we take the pressure off. And in urban areas, obviously, nature's going to need a lot of help from us to get this, replant things because usually the seed sources just aren't there. So we will need to actively, you know, grow harakeke or kahikatea or whatever it is and put it in to stabilise the land. Um, but in other places, so long as you're on, t- so long as you keep pigs, deer, goats and possums down as low as possible, then nature knows exactly what to do and it has ways. Nature is engineered so that those plants that need to heal the land find their way to the right places. Usually they have seed that is taken by wind. So, for example, toi toi, manuka and and harakeke, the flaxes, you know, and they land in places where the the, um, land is hurt and, you know, is hurt basically and they, they form like a a sticking plaster, if you like, with their growth. And they don't, not very long-lived plants, but they're there to stabilise it. And then the birds um, eat bugs on them or uh, they find something to do around them and then they drop in berries of um, longer-living plants, which push through and then start forming a forest again in those areas. So the forest does know exactly what to do. And I've seen that same process at my place when there was a huge slip um, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago. And there was a lot of mud and slurry. And I thought all the fish had probably died and been suffocated. Um, but really rapidly, within three years, it was green. It was really covered in the most amazing vegetation. And, and all sorts of things happen year by year by year. I keep going back because it's such a fascinating thing watching land heal and the different cycles, natural cycles, um, present themselves. Yeah, that's a lovely, positive way of looking at it too, optimistic in these times. Um, what about weeds, though? Like the, the land healing, there might be ginger, for example, or um, uh, yeah. asparagus oh, fern and wandering woolly, do they call it these days? Yeah, all those, plus privet yep. and Japanese honeysuckle and all the other nasties. This is their, those plants, big chance to fill in those spaces as well. And at the end of summer, you know, I mean, we're heading towards the the fruit ripe fruit or seed ripened um, time of year. Birds will be eating the seeds of things like ginger soon and um, spreading them around. So it is really important to get on top of those um, kind of plants as quickly as possible because they will fill in those places. It's a race against time if you have those um, nasties around. Right. So if you're looking at um, trying to restore the forest just back to its natural state as much as you can, would your first yep. thing that you would do would be to clear those weeds? A bit, you know, like just really go through oh, and take out, take out as many as you can. Then you've got bare ground for a bit, which is a little bit scary, I suppose. Um, and, and then is there somewhere you can go where there's information for, I know by observing, as you've said, and, um, eco sourcing and see what, see what grows around there. But are there any publications that tell you how to plant in your area? 
Um, there are a lot of guides online, sometimes there's specific guides for like um, Christchurch City, for example, where um, it's really clear about what type of forest where it wasn't even in each suburb. Um, and then there's more general guides that I think the QE2 Trust have. Uh, but yeah, some online searches should put out, uh, should give you some really good ideas if you Google things like native forest restoration guide or something like that. Yes. Then you'll get some really good tips and some real solid um, uh, ways to go. Great. And for people now in, in the north and in Auckland, uh, not so much for the south, they're having different uh, weather systems altogether, luckily. Um, but, uh, you know, now is not the time to be doing it because we're facing this cyclone. Hopefully it doesn't get here next week, but it looks like it's tracking right over Northland and Auckland. Um, when do we start doing this, just as soon as we can find a gap? Yeah, well, the, you know, the preparation thing that I would do now is collect seed before the cyclone hits because it could yes. be that um, the seeds get shaken off the plants and then get washed away. And for things like harakeke, they won't have a hard flowering for three more years. Oh, so okay. there is that kind of element to consider. Um, otherwise, you know, planting time is usually winter time, but because it's been so wet, I've been planting through the whole year. This is completely unheard of. What have you been um, planting besides the, the harakiki? What other things do you plant? Oh, oh, well, at my place, I've been planting subtropical fruit trees and um, tacoka cabbage trees and all sorts of things. I always have lots of different things on the go because it's fun. Yeah, <laughs> wonderful. Uh, and these things are the, some of the species that you're talking about. The word is endemic, endemic to a well, place. That's a good question. So... A, a plant or something that is endemic means it only lives there and nowhere else in the world. So, for example, kiwi are endemic to Aotearoa, the islands of Aotearoa. So are rimu, so are kauri trees. But then there are things that are native. They can be here and also other places naturally, like pūkeko. They are, they are naturally here and Australia and Japan, for example. But there's some places in this country where you have very small areas of endemism. So that means um, whatever it is lives only in a tiny area and that's its entire world population naturally lives there. And over, over summer, I was lucky I got to stay in Collingwood at the very top of the South Island near the base of um, Farewell Spit. And from there on the skyline, there is the Wakamarama Range. It's a beautiful mountain range and it looks like a woman lying down. You can see her head, her breasts, her very knobbly knees and then her feet. And then it goes off to Fairwell Spit. Anyway, the breasts are Mount Burnett. And Mount Burnett is such a special mountain. It's often covered with um, cloud at the top. And it has its own special rock there called Dolomite. And at the top of there, there is its own endemic shrubland and forest land. And it only exists there and nowhere else on Earth. And, um, yeah, so... I was marvelling at, at the mountain and um, I'd been up there years ago and seen the crazy plants and how beautiful they were. And that uh, there were, at that time, um, there, it was threatened with uh, the expansion of a mine that's hidden away behind there to mine the dolomite, which is the rock that, uh, that the amazing shrubland and forest grows on. And <clears throat> it's such a special place that... Uh, there is a big big block of dock land around it, which is not National Park, yet it is an area of national and international significance. 
And so while I was I was thinking about this and looking at the mountain, I, I, I was thinking about this big campaign that's been going for years and years to end mining on conservation land. And amazingly this week, you might have heard that um, the government has confirmed that they are going to, uh, they're drafting a bill now to end mining on uh, conservation land. And that would be such a useful thing for Mount Burnett, for all sorts of forest areas and um, conservation areas in the country that don't have strong protection like a national park. Up, up here in Northland, we've had to fight off a number of mining companies um, over Russell State Forest, which is between the Bay of Islands and um, Whangarei. And it's, a, it's an area of it's a very, probably the largest, one of the largest regenerating kauri forests in, in the country. And year, uh, if, every few years, there seemed to be a new um, permit, exploration permit over the whole forest. And then the community and hapu had to get up in arms and, and try and get rid of them. And then that uh, mining permit will be passed on to someone else. And then the, um, the, the ten social tension will build up again to try and um, stave off the threat. So if this uh, bill get, gets passed, and let's hope it goes through quickly and before the election, it would protect so many areas um, of conservation throughout the country, conservation land. They're not giving a time frame, though, are they? No. <laughs> you picked up on that, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> but they're not committing. No. We need a commitment. We need to crack the whip. Yeah, it will be that would be one of the best things that could have um, happened for the environment um, in this term of parliament. If uh, yeah, if, if it's uh, signed, sealed, and delivered before the election. Right, Dean. Um, and fruits ripening at the moment on native plants. The flax is 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 seeding. What else is going on in the forest? Well, I noticed that Tortara had their berries on. Um, and the, the tui and the kukupa or kereru, they were all over them, scoffing their little beaks off the other day. There's um, karaka, should be coming right, as will titoki soon, and kaikomako, and I know that kawakawa has um, its um, bright orangey-yellow um, fruits really ripe at the moment. And so it's good to get them quicker than the rats or the birds so that you can grow them in a similar way to how I described um, growing the harakiki flax. Oh, okay. Um, so the rats love those, do they? Things like to eat those oh, yeah. fruits. <laughs> okay. Yeah, they get their little mouths up there and you just see a little stalk that was in the middle of the uh, fruit. That was all that's left. They all just uh, had a big clean out over one night. Oh, we'll be looking out for those. I've got a couple of questions for you here. Um, uh, regarding trees and long roots, how long do pariri roots grow? In sub suburban Auckland, these roots are lifting concrete driveways metres away, growing towards water, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm sure they're right. Um, often there is, uh, what do they call it, a... As far as the branches go out, there's usually an assumption that that's as far as the roots go out. And the drip line, that's what it's called, oh, the, the drip, drip line, line around yes. the tree. But that's not correct for things like puriri, because I've seen exactly the same thing there. They're long, wiggly roots going down and, uh, you know, finding finding food and growing. But they're also stabilising those trees because they are they get really big, girthy trunks. So they need to have a large base of sta stabilisation. And 
yeah, over time they will lift up things and move things. That's why you've got to make sure, like you said earlier, Karen, that you plant the right tree in the right place and have a plan for it because it's no good planting a puriri tree and then 10 years later someone comes and cuts it down. You really want them to be able to live for the full seven or 800 years. Yeah, of course, and they're not supposed to be cutting them down anyway, are they? They might be able to take a fifth of them away, but not whacking the whole thing down. Exactly. <laughs> Dean, oh. Dean, fantastic. Great conversation and uh, so much to learn. Uh, and I love the fact that we can um, go, I just while you were talking, uh, we're in the Waitakere's and I see there's a guide there, Native to the West, a guide for planting and restoring the nature of Waitakere City. And it has all the plants with... Um, you know, the Latin names and the Māori names, so people can work out, you know, if they don't, and they're not aware of what the Māori, you know, what tree they're looking at. Um, and, yeah, ABC of Restoring Bush, so that looks, that's very helpful. So I imagine for areas right around the country, or, you know, that there will be similar guides from councils. Wonderful. And if there's not, people can look up the Waitakere one, you know, um, or whatever is closest to them, because, um, yeah, many councils have done that. It's a great public resource for people to use. Fantastic. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Dean. You're welcome. Talk to you again soon. Uh, that's Dean, ba- Dean Bajant Mercer.